0: Hi, I'm Barnaby Cook, and welcome to The Exit Plan, a podcast for business owners that are interested in learning more about how to sell their business. Each episode, I interview someone who's bought or sold a business, either a creative agency or a production company. The conversation gets under the skin of why they wanted to sell or were looking to acquire, how the deal was structured, how they agreed upon a valuation, and what lessons they learned along the way. Here we go. On today's episode, we're joined by Richard Tompkins, co-founder of Where Eagles Dare. Rich has experience working with a broad range of clients, from exciting, sustainable startups to FTSE 100 companies. Rich's journey into acquisitions began during his tenure as MD at W Communications, where he helped grow the agency and embarked on an expansion drive that included several acquisitions. After leaving W in 2020, Richard launched Where Eagles Dare before going through his own restructuring of ownership through a management buyout of his business partner. Richard's advice for business owners considering acquisitions or exits includes getting legal and financial matters in order, being brutally honest about post-acquisition intentions and capabilities, and recognising the importance of relationships, and understanding the realistic value of your business. Hope you enjoy today's conversation. All right, well, welcome to the podcast. Could you just start by telling me who you are and a bit about your business?
1: Yeah, I'm Richard Tompkins. I am the founder and CEO of Where Eagles Dare Communications Agency. We are, I guess, slightly unique. We My background's PR, but we do a lot of, in the kind of broad marketing space. So help with everything from strategic and creative kind of comms and thought leadership through to Writing and supporting fundraising decks, investment packs for our clients, as well as all the other things you'd expect from a PR agency, so social content, PR, etc.
0: Nice. And you've had a sort of interesting career in terms of acquisitions. You've worked on quite a few in the past. Was that at W Communications?
1: Yes. So prior to where I was there, I was MD for around nine years at W Communications. So spent the first four or five helping grow the business and then more laterally in that we had quite a kind of wide acquisition sort of an expansion drive so some small scale some larger scale
0: so how did that sort of come about where did the sort of idea to go out and buy other agencies come from
1: The founder of the agency, who's a very, very driven guy, very very brilliant, very kind of inspirational and very commercially minded. And I think the the agency got to a size, we were winning big clients, we were kind of growing in in quite a, a kind of solid way. And you either, I guess, look at kind of bringing kind of business units or launching business units within a company, or you look externally and see what you can kind of buy, harvest, save, rescue whatever to kind of add onto that onto that bottom line so I think that's where the kind of original kind of thought came from and some of the acquisitions were born on kind of growing into different areas some were about lowering overheads so for example we actually acquired a a sort of one man band up in Newcastle which was actually a great way to, to sort of grow a solid talent pool which was slightly more cost effective than one in central London so there's often kind of many different kind of ways of kind of looking at the the sort of acquisition thing. But ultimately, it's a business. It's designed to kind of make money and be more profitable.
0: So before W sort of went and made its first acquisition, what kind of, can you give me an idea of kind of the size of the agency and what kind of clients they were working on, how many employees, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I guess at that stage, we were probably about 80 people I imagine that our kind of top one revenue, just trying to think, think back now and do the pack packet kind of math, we would probably have been about seven and a half million turnover, around about one and a half million at EBITDA, I, somewhere in that ballpark from, from memory. We had a very good long-term relationship with clients like Unilever. We worked with Money Supermarket. We had Spotify, did a lot in festivals with V Festival and Wireless. We were starting to work with a lot of growing kind of interesting fintech businesses like Habito and Sarah Healthcare and there's a really kind of nice balance within the business of kind of these these kind of big, solid, retained clients, some exciting kind of fast growing clients, some really kind of cool cultural clients. And I guess at that point you sort of sit and go, Well, we've got everything, right? What else do we need? We could we could carry on doing this, or there could be more. And as I said, Warren, who's um the owner and the founder is phenomenally kind of driven and there's always something more and to sort of look for I guess that's where the kind of mindset sort of comes from at that time. So did anyone
0: have any expertise (laughs) when you sort of went into it or like how did you go about sort of looking for your first company to buy were there any advisors involved?
1: Warren has spent a lot of time he studied a lot in kind of
0: maths and economics so he
1: already had been sort of trained in that sort of way I'm far more kind of university of life in kind of business sort of training sort of learning it on the who um i think to be honest with you they as with kind of agency stuff you end up doing a lot of marketing pieces and warren had gone out and done a a kind of chat an m&a panel discussion i think for pr week or, or some one of the industry titles and the kind of response back was to get I think he had a couple of phone calls from people who had obviously attended as agency owners and founders and said, actually, I heard what you were saying and that you're keen to sort of set up and kind of grow these kind of business partnerships or divisions through acquisition. I'd be really keen to chat. So there wasn't a grand sort of master plan of, not in the first instance of this is the direction we're going to go to, these are the areas we want to look at. And actually, it was about going out, putting the business out there so much, you know, so much of what we did and As kind of warranted, particularly as the head of the business, was putting yourself out there and seeing, you know, shaking the tree and seeing what apples fall—that kind of thing—and that kind of came first. And we did have advisors that we brought in from time to time, people who had, you know, worked at kind of huge companies like Samsung, people who were non-execs at other kind of big businesses like, you know, House Group. But those were, I guess, less about can you come in and. Specifically, work on mergers and acquisitions, and more about kind of the broader business and how the, the overall business structure might look as we grow with these facets and elements as part of it. So, yeah, there wasn't, let's say, a master plan or a roadmap
0: at that point. Yeah, can you talk me through how many acquisitions did you make? With what was the first one, or were there any sort of notable ones that are worth?
1: There were probably. I mean, there was a lot of conversations that we had with many different people. I think the ones that were probably most kind of successful most interesting but certainly the ones that I learned the most from were there was a travel business called Lotus which actually I believe W now has fully acquired probably a couple of years ago that was one which actually came from Warren doing a kind of M&A chat they sort of knocked on the door picked up the phone you know sent an email whatever and that was really interesting because as a travel business that was an area that as an agency, we had done a smaller mountain. So we had worked with you know, a cruise client. We had some hotel clients, which we were doing sort of cultural influencer-related work for, but we'd never done anything directly sort of in travel. And so going through the sort of due diligence process of, of kind of speaking with the three shareholders it was at the time, going down and being sort of overwhelmed, I'd say, by going to World Travel Market, which was one of my first jobs to kind of do was to pop down there and see what the actual industry looked like, which was both very impressive and incredibly kind of overwhelming. Um, We suddenly realized that there was a a massive opportunity there. There's a huge opportunity to kind of expand, to share clients, to bring in kind of briefs that we might not have done to expand clients across both ways. So clients that they had potentially that we might be able to do some more Kind of strategic creative influencer corporate work with, and then again, on our side, as I say, we had clients in the hospitality, sorry in the hotel space that we could take across, and they could run slightly more of the traditional kind of travel kind of p r stuff, so there was a nice mix. I think that one that one was a kind of a really I guess solid acquisition process, as I say, we did a lot of the due diligence ourselves, we had a little bit of kind of support externally to sort of draft the legals and sort out the articles as we were coming at it from a kind of position of not really having done much in the way of that before, but got to, a, I guess, a really good place. And I think ultimately when you've got two sides that want to get to a solution and to do something, you will kind of find it. On the other hand, we've had people that we had discussions with and you're just so far apart in terms of expectations. It just, you know, goes nowhere quickly which was the challenge was work out whether this is actually a thing or not and find out quickly
0: <laughs> yeah that, i mean that's been my experience is there are a lot of people who are willing to take the call a lot of tire kickers they just sort of want to know how much their business is worth and they're willing to kind of take that conversation quite far down the line but they're actually not willing to sell often it's just a mismatch in the expectations for evaluation
1: it's a really good point because the people certainly the acquisition's that were sort of successful. There was a very, very clear kind of understanding early on, and I guess this may have been helped by the fact that we we weren't using external kind of agencies and legal, you know, representation because often those you know those tire kickings can give you a financial kicking because you will end up sitting there getting a report back and then all of a sudden say, well, hang on a second, why are we paying you know five six grand on legal fees? And we haven't got anywhere. What's the actual conversation? Whereas. You know, much of the world that we occupy, agency world, is all about relationships and making a phone call or having a meeting. And so sitting in a room with someone and saying, well, this is what we want out of this. What do you want out of it? Right, okay, we're in the right place. Let's then look at what this could look like in terms of heads of terms. So, yeah, I think sometimes just open and honesty has got to be the best way, in this, particularly in this regard.
0: How did you go about kind of agreeing valuations did you have a sort of a thesis or do you ask them to sort of ask how you know ask how much they want for their business first how did you kind of do that
1: there's a number of different sort of acquisitions which we will probably sort of cover but certainly when we were looking at something like the kind of lotus acquisition which was a from memory i think it's a sort of a 25 percent stake in the first instance and then and then growing into it as they sort of hit certain hurdles and all the rest of it. The valuation of that I, I think without being sort of cavalier or re, sort of revealing too much, we looked at kind of what industry standards were. And you were obviously they were taking advice and guidance from their side, as any business would do. And obviously they'll have a multiple on their eBit and you'll have a recommended multiple or a view on the multiple on your side. So I think where we approached to coming for all acquisitions was less necessary about what that multiple was but more about what we would be happy to pay and thought we could recoup through immediate upsell as well as long term kind of business returns so if we looked at the business and thought actually we're looking at the numbers we think you know they are understaffed or overstaffed they've got these amount of clients or you know these could be converted from projects to retainers this could be flipped over to us There's a number that comes out of that, which is, you know, X. Therefore, we can probably recoup that within the next 18 months, three years. So we'd be willing to pay Y. And I think at that point, you're sort of, you know, manufacturing a multiple off their EBIT to get to that kind of number. And as I'm sure you've been through the process, you know, you can look at EBITDA and argue the the toss over. Well, whether this should be included or that's a cost or whether that person, you know, what you took out should be accounted for as a salary for someone else next year. You know, it's all of those. So there's lots of kind of moving points anyway. So ultimately, it was a what would we be happy? What's our kind of risk that we think we want to put down and sort of
0: go from there? In terms of funding these deals, did you go out for any external funding or was it all done from working capital cash flow?
1: All done from working capital. And I think that was, you know, again to Warren's kind of credit, you know, the building, uh, the business was sort of built in a way that to be financially kind of robust, and you know, we were fortunate enough to, as I say, to have some really good, solid, long-term kind of clients, which meant that there was a a kind of certainty of income. I think we were never always approached kind of acquisitions or as partnerships, and. There was never a case of, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds that were going to be put up front straight away because all the risk then is, you know, on our side. And what we wanted to do was build a kind of mutually kind of beneficial and kind of system for working with other agencies and other sectors where we'd either initially buy and then, you know, slowly move them into the kind of the group as it was then, rather than, you know, that kind of classic sort of succession we're going to buy your business for you know 50 million and we own you so you now do what we say which never well one we didn't have 50 million in the bank but you know, that was never really the, the
0: approach really that's interesting and i think a lot of what this podcast is about is digging into reality of how deals are actually put together and i think people's perception is often i'm going to sell my business and make a million quid and walk off into the sunset but you know the reality is it's often yeah just based on what the two parties kind of need out of it. It's got to be a win-win. There's, you know, you've got to work out something that benefits both parties. So how many did you do when you were at W, do you know?
1: I think we had four in the time that I was there. At the point that I was leaving, I think, well, <laughs> pain in mind I left, well, I was leaving during 2020. So I think acquisitions were probably the last thing on the mind of everyone at that point but there was a list of other kind of targets in different sectors that we were looking at. So yeah, so we had a the, the first kind of acquisition was a very small sort of test the water sort of trial thing which was a business that worked in kind of com space was a re- experts in the kind of jewelry and high end kind of luxury market. Again, very very kind of small business which we bought in quite quickly and was one or, one or, I think I, had, I think about th- three people something like that. We then had the kind of Lotus travel acquisition actually that was the third one so i'm going completely out of order facets was the kind of the jewelry business which we bought on board and quickly kind of soaked up and and learned what was challenging about doing things we acquired a sort of one-man band business in newcastle not too too long after that um spotted that there was an opportunity in terms of kind of funding support through universities for staff being kept within the local area and so by acquiring his business giving him kind of certainty of a long-term role and a position as kind of head of the north um, without getting too game of thrones about it (laughs) you know there was an opportunity to kind of grow that and expand that business which we did do it was up to sort of 12 or 13 people when i left which enabled us to service the businesses down in london on a kind of a much more kind of cost-effective way but also probably work with slightly more kind of dynamic lower paying kind of customers which is something that W always had at its heart when I started and when the business started. We then had Lotus, which was a travel business, which again, is now, that's the one that I've mentioned before, which has now been kind of fully acquired by W. And then after that, we had a one of my old businesses, actually. So I right back at the start of my career, I, I worked for a company called Henry's House, which was owned and run by Julian Henry, who's now, I believe he's at 19 Management. Still had IT management. I obviously subsequently left, gone on, had a career and all the rest of it. Henry's house had become house PR as it had been bought by its kind of next kind of iteration of ownership. And then it sort of came full circle and we ended up acquiring them. And I was working quite closely with, I guess, my old bosses within the business. And that was a slightly, I guess, different one because the kind of premise for that business is a consumer PR company had a lot in the entertainment space before so you know back in the day we did a lot work big brother a lot of kind of celebrities and people in the music industry so that was a business that came over to us they had probably a little bit too much by the way of operationally in terms of kind of the the cost in the business and so that was the first one that we actually bought the business into our business relatively quickly so we end up sharing the same office space And i think we learned quite a lot from that i think we had probably my mind's quite sort of commercially focused in even though obviously we know that relationships and kind of comms are important but i think we maybe underestimated the kind of impact that that has of putting kind of you know a relatively small company in with a relatively big company and everyone being like Jesus, what's happening? You know, we've never done this before. We've never seen it before. You know, you can keep other things, you know, with other agencies and things behind closed doors. But that was quite a kind of very direct thing. But yeah, it was, again, ultimately that was, you know, successful. We bought the business in, you know, it then became wholly owned by W. So yeah,
0: so what's that for? Yeah, I'm interested in that integration thing because that's, you know, a crucial part of successful acquisitions. So what was it that caused, was a bit unexpected when you brought that team in?
1: there's obviously a cultural thing that you have to kind of deal with and that's not that, you know the teams were wildly different it was just everything from sort of start times I think they had a half hour later start time and maybe a half hour later finish time and you know there were small things like magazine subscriptions that those guys that their teams got and our agency didn't have and so it, you sort of had both sides going well that's really good what you've got and this is really bad what they've got and vice versa and you sort of go God, yeah, we hadn't really thought about this. We'd only looked at clients and, you know, staffing costs and, you know, all the rest of it. So, yeah, it was good. I think it, to start off with any business that, that sort of drops in new faces, particularly who've come from a separate cohort, there's a bit of, do they really want us here? And the other's going, well, do they really want to be here? But ultimately, you know, I think there was a lot of people within that business who really benefited by W acquiring them. I mean. Back in the day when I had a PA, my PA actually was the PA of the outgoing CEO of of House PR. And she was brilliant. I'd like to think she'd say that she loved working in the business. But yeah, we also had probably four or five people that came after coming over into business, then ended up working on clients that were sort of their dream clients. You know, people who had wanted to work in entertainment, then had come over to work with us and were working on festivals and working for Spotify and running like big things. In fact, one of those... Members of staff has actually gone on to work for, I think, Amazon or Amazon Music. One's gone on to work for Apple. So, you know, much as those things can be quite, oh God, is the right thing? How do we not, you know, piss people off or annoy people too much? I think overall, it had a really kind of positive impact on everyone. And then you left in 2020, did you? I think began leaving. I had quite a long sort of uh, notice period, of six months. And actually thought, well, obviously, you know, I was heavily involved in kind of financials and HR and all this new business, probably not going to be masses for me to be doing We'll probably agree some point in between. Unfortunately, pandemic hit and I spent most of my time arguing with landlords about trying to get our rent down for a short period of time and dealing with contracts with clients and staffing and all and you know, furlough schemes. So yes, I didn't eventually kind of fully become extricated from the business until August, 2020. So yeah, we officially launched where it was there September, 2020.
0: Okay. So you left W launched your own business. While I've got you here, I just wanted to let you know a little bit about me. After having acquired a TV commercials production company earlier this year, I'm currently doing a roll up in the video production space and I'm looking for production companies to join my group. If you don't think you're quite there yet, I'm also spending some of my time advising smaller businesses on business growth and exit planning. So if you want to chat to me about that, drop me a line on LinkedIn. Here endeth the advert. How's it going? How's Where Eagles there?
1: Good, good. I mean we'll be coming up to what we now two and a half maybe three years in in this September. I think it's been really interesting and a kind of good, sort of steep learning curve. I think we probably put in place all these kind of plans for launching a company and not to blame everything on a pandemic. But, you know, when you have line items in there for office costs and, you know, everything down to how you might operate as a business in the inverted commas, normal world, and then a pandemic hits and you're thinking, well, hang on a second, everyone's working remotely. Do we need to be in an office? You know, everyone's talking about, is this the future of working? How are we going to work? What do clients actually want? You know, et cetera. So, we sort of best laid plans and then they also, a lot of things got moved around. Um, what it did mean in you know, a kind of sort of blessing in disguise is the, the kind of pressure on the financials at the start were far less. You know, we didn't have to have an expensive kind of office and we were able to be relatively agile. So I think it was good. We kind of bought in some kind of great clients. So people like Innocent Smoothies and Coke Brattery, we work with Coke Frozen Foods, a whole bunch of interesting kind of startup businesses from a a wide range of places, and for me personally, you know I get really excited about working with kind of senior leadership teams and not entrepreneurs and founders and being nosy and what's going on in their businesses and how they're growing and what they're trying to do, so that for me was really exciting to kind of get back into that and so yeah, so year one was about kind of getting up up and running and going, year two has been about kind of growth and brought in some clients extra sort of pairs of hands to kind of help us out and then yeah. Ultimately, we have kind of changed the sort of structure and ownership of the business. So I've, I've actually been through my own MBO of a company, which I wasn't necessarily planning on it being quite so soon, but or even happening at all. But it just felt like the sort of time was right in terms of, you know, where the three of us were as sort of partners and the direction the business wanted to go. So yeah, we went through that at the back end of last year and into the start of this year. And yeah, finally sort of signed on the dotted line in February. Okay, so
0: that was buying out one of your business partners that you set up with too. Right, yeah. So tell me a bit about that.
1: So the three of us set up the business. We kind of agreed to, to sort of write down our unreasonable demands on a side of the paper, which were everything from holiday days in my regard, you know, <laughs> where I was going to spend a lot of my time and have a bit more work life balance and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, you know, really sort of proud of what we did as kind of three founders and where we kind of took the business to of the type of clients that we brought on board and the type of work that we did. And I think we probably, you know, in the back end of the summer of last year, when everyone was kind of going, well, what's happening with the economy? what are the conservatives going to leave us with after, you know, what's the next steaming proverbial thing that's around the corner? Clients were questioning how much they're spending on budgets and marketing and how we're going to work and all the rest of it. We very much were set up, you know, our approach to to kind of working as a business was providing that kind of senior level strategic advice for clients, you know, working on that kind of big projects and less about creating a consumer or corporate agency with 50 people banging on phones and calling up journalists every day. And I think, you know, a little bit of an evolution in terms of how the world has gone. Clients are sort of sat there going, well, if we've got a budget of X, you know, we probably need to spread it as thinly as possible and get as much in the way of kind of output in terms of kind of the traditional PR stuff which you know is it sort of leads you to I guess not question what you're doing as a business but for discussions to have about how do we take this forward where do we want to go are we all still on the same page and in terms of what's coming and what's next and yeah ultimately we got to sort of a point where what they say consciously uncoupling is I guess the term isn't it where we kind of go (laughs) and sort of how we go up separate ways really into what's next
0: and did you have a partnership agreement shareholders agreement was there a sort of mechanism for you to be able to do that or how did you work that out
1: yeah yeah i would say we spent quite a bit of money up front on the legals um which i was sort of relatively you know which i think ultimately helped all of us kind of the the exit phase or how we'll term it yeah we had the shareholders agreements were very kind of long and well documented with lots and lots of kind of articles um which had certain kind of trigger points and how you might value the business, et cetera. Again, though, ultimately, you know, we're not, you know, at that stage we weren't a 450 million pound business where you're talking about, you know, building assets or or things like that. We're ultimately a relatively small dynamic team and company. So it was, what's the money in the pot? What's the fees coming in? What does everyone want to sort of get out of it and kind of go from there really? So, yeah, whilst those mechanisms were there, they were probably drafted with a view that a kind of an exit would be, you know, maybe three or four years further on. But they did kind of provide us with the parameters to be able to kind of come to a relatively kind of quick agreement.
0: Okay, and was that just paying them out over time? Was it sort of mainly deferred?
1: No, I mean, I was probably quite limited in terms of what I kind can of can't say, but I think <laughs> right, okay. it was more about, how do we do this as quickly as possible so everyone's as happy as as we possibly can do? I think, you know, you sort of sit there and everyone goes, What does everyone individually want to get out of this? Right, you know, X, Y, and Z, be a kind of financial timing, whatever. You get to an agreement and then you hand it over to the, the legal teams and then they ask lots of other questions and <laughs> probably not muddy the waters but make things sort of slightly more complex. But but yeah, no, it was I think we all agreed we wanted to be as kind of quick and sort of simple as possible, which ultimately we managed to do probably within about a three-month period, something like that, three or four-month period, um, from, from initial conversations to completion.
0: And what have your two co-founders gone on to do?
1: I'm not sure at the moment because one of them, his wife's you know, a very successful writer of books, interior designer and things like that. So I think he's probably doing a lot to kind of support her in terms of I know, her business is growing as well. So I know that he was still a kind of director within her business, so he had that on that side. I'm not sure on the other part. No, I'd imagine that she would be probably doing some consultancy work and maybe going into kind of work with kind of other agencies, whether that's long-term or not, I don't know. But yeah, well, it feels like a long time ago, probably not that long ago.
0: And um, how does it feel for you now being master of your own destiny, having control of the business?
1: You sound like my wife. Yeah, no, <laughs> <so> it's, <laughs> it's good because I guess, you know, you can make those decisions kind of quickly and move forward and decide you know the type of work you want to do with clients how you might approach things all the rest of it obviously the kind of negative side of that is you become your own echo chamber and so every idea you have is both a great idea and then fills you with dread the moment after you thought it's a great idea and you've got no one to sort of bounce that ideas off fortunately I've got a sort of senior kind of leadership team on board which obviously has kind of Some degrees sort of replaced a lot of that. But I guess I'm more reliant on having conversations with other kind of agency sort of founders and owners about certain situations that I probably would have previously had with those kind of partners internally. I haven't gone so far as to have a kind of an official non-exec as yet, although there are a couple of people who may come to quite soon. But I think it's a classic thing, isn't it? It's, It's great because you feel... Kind of a control and then you know because you have that control it is all on you so the constant kind of anxiety and turmoil and heartburn and all the rest of all those things that comes with it is there great
0: <laughs> i don't have instantly have another question <laughs> i guess just sort of the audience for this is agency owners who are maybe thinking about one day selling their business but haven't necessarily put much in place to be able to do that or don't necessarily have the sort of knowledge around that. So I don't know if just from your experience, if you have any sort of words of wisdom.
1: (laughs) I think to be honest, the biggest challenges that we sort of came across when looking to sort of acquire a business was from a kind of operational point of view, there is those businesses that have been set up and grown without a proper either share purchase agreements or shareholders agreements and the right sort of articles and protection. And the problem is that It's all very well when you know if you're a single owner and you bring someone on board and say, "Oh yeah, it's great. I'll give you ten percent ownership. That's fantastic." But that what does that mean moving forward? How does that work? And no one ever really wants to, you know, think about those things. It's like getting married and automatically thinking about a prenup of when you might be separating. It just sort of just never feels like it would ever be the case. But I would say that if there are companies out there and there's a couple of people who I'm sort of chatting to about potential not necessarily acquisitions, but sort of partnerships. But if you need to sort of get your kind of house in order, and a lot of people think that's are my accounts up to date? And have I made sure that the, those flights I booked for my holiday have actually not gone through as flights for holidays, you know, or whatever? And that's fine. The, the kind of numbers bit is sort of the easy bit. <laughs> the harder bit is when there's lots of kind of, we you know, two or three different levels of kind of shareholders or owners within the business, and there isn't really an agreement on how their exit Works through the sale, either a full one, partial, or whatever else. And so, understanding what that kind of looks like, and you know, getting that sorted first is is super, super important. I think also, and one of the things that you, you sort of mentioned before about kind of tire kickers is absolute kind of honesty. You know, everything and anything will come out in a due diligence process. Or if it doesn't come out in that process, what your actual ambitions look like will come out within three or six months. So. If you are an agency founder that actually doesn't want to be in the business in three months, six months after the sale, then say that. <laughs> you know, not saying that and thinking that you're going to get a bigger kind of lump sum or more money or better kind of hurdles for for your earnout, it's only going to come back and sort of bite you afterwards. So, sort of being completely honest with yourself before you go into that process is hugely important. We had one business who I won't name, but were a massively distressed purchase. They came to us, digital business, and we were talking weeks before they were basically bankrupt. And, you know, that was it. The company was kind of going. And so there wasn't a conversation about, you know, multiples or anything like that. It was fundamentally, what clients can we save? What is the brand worth? What are your guys' salaries, whatever it is, worth, and how do we kind of keep that? that's one of those deals that you could do in a room and say we'll confirm a salary of x and y for you two we'll take on the brand and we'll take the ownership we'll keep these clients we'll move these things off we'll this is how we move forward and they just couldn't get past the fact of they'd been working in this business for thought. we've worked in this business for five years ten years and it's like i know but just because you've been doing time doesn't mean money <laughs> you know and just because you put the
0: order's effort. effort exactly yeah i've worked really hard <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly and I think it's – and it sounds like a really sort of patronizing thing to say, doesn't it, to someone's going, well, you've worked for five years, but actually what you've got to show for it is not a lot. So, therefore, we've got to value on that last bit. So, I think being really kind of honest is massively important. And having that kind of face-to-face time, I think that, you know, I always – like to and was almost my role through these kind of acquisitions as well was to go in and meet with everyone and anyone who could be important could have a say within the company and that meant all the teams it meant the leaders it meant the finance the accountants it meant non-execs or anyone else you know friends family whatever because i think you know that you want everyone on their side to feel comfortable that they're making the right decision with the right people as well otherwise you know you're not setting yourself up for kind of the kind of success. And then I guess the only other or one of the other things that I would kind of say is when you're looking at sort of the hurdles or the the sort of earn out piece is have a kind of understanding of, I guess, your own capabilities of running your kind of business. Because, you know, I've advised a couple of other businesses who have gone through kind of acquisitions and sort of said, look, are you happy to work your staff 50% harder for no more money for the next year and a half? Are you happy to take away these things out of the business and try and make, you know, because that's ultimately what those numbers are, you're trying to get to are going to force you to kind of do. If that's not you as a person or you as an operator, then maybe don't try and sign up to those things because you're only going to disappoint yourself and be, uh, you know, upset with it. So I think sort of, a da- you know, a big dose of kind of realism is important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, good advice. Just you know, radical honesty on both sides, because if you don't, it'll come back to bite you later on in the process.
1: Absolutely. I've seen people get bitten. That's not nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So you've done a bit of advising as well for other, other companies.
1: Yeah. I had a company, a friend of mine who, in a completely different space, they do a lot of stuff in hospitality. They have got acquired by quite a big global rights a hold a brokerage business. So people look after things like the the FA Premier League, etc. And lots of kind of sports teams. And there he was sort of chatting to me about saying, well, we know we've had a look in this and what we think our multiple is. And I I just sort of said, Well, but what do you want out of it? That's got to be the first question has got to be, what do you actually want out of it? Because the drivers behind it are very, very different. And he has grown his business it's successful they'll get a you know decent payday and hopefully a a good earn out but I said do you want to carry on doing this because if you do then you need to be you know in fact I was recommending to him that part of your earn out is an earning at their group level that should be your role so actually that's how you facilitate your next stage of your career because you know in his 40s he's not 65 68 17 retiring after this one so what's he going to do next you know he's terrible at telling jokes and not a great raconteur so you know there's not a circuit for him there but you've got to think what's next and if you've not got the hunger to go back and do it again then how do you kind of grow it and sometimes that's you know that's one of the things i completely random tangent but my family business own crazy golf courses and the first one that was they bought was down in Hastings, and they bought these three or the space down there from an older couple, and the amusement arcade owner was also wanting to buy it, and our family were looking to kind of buy it. Didn't have anywhere near the same money, but said, Look, "Well, what do you guys want out of it? Oh, we want it to be in really good hands. Okay, right, okay. Oh, well, also what we want is to ensure that you know we're looked after, you know, healthcare wise and all the rest of it. So they built a. Booper private healthcare thing this is talking 45 years ago so Booper healthcare for the rest of your life for you your family and all the rest of it and we'll look after you that was it ended up paying probably 25 30 less for the business than the other company because they met with them they knew what the sellers wanted and they looked after and they were friends for life after in fact they came back to work for them for a bit so i think you know again random tangent but So much of mergers and acquisitions, particularly at the kind of, I guess, the scale that we're probably talking about here, or certainly I've been part of, is about those kind of relationships. It's not stamping up and down on board tables, demanding extra points or numbers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because, yes, at this end of the market, there aren't actually that many buyers. You don't just sort of sell at a crazy, you know, 15 times multiple and, you know, make loads of money. It's more about strategic fit. You know, what do I want out of this? And yeah, is this an exciting opportunity?
1: Exactly. I always thought that the, I thought the only deal, one of the only deals that I ever saw that was like, that's actually a really, really brilliant deal was the Adam and Eve one. Adam and Eve gets acquired as a business and then you go in and run the bigger business as the management team. That's brilliant. You just get a bigger sweet shop to play with. So, you know, but those deals are, you know, they're kind of notable because of uh, how few and far between they are. So I think, as I say, we've all got to live in the real world and actually understand our own, our own worths and values and things. Awesome.
0: Okay. well, I think that's
1: hopefully that waffle. Covered
0: everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for listening to the Exit Plan podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review to help other people find us. If you're wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan, connect with me on LinkedIn.